Good to see you. We are in Matthew chapter 6. If you would uh, turn there in your Bibles today, I'd appreciate it. Matthew 6. <clears throat> We're continuing on in our series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. We're, we're about ready to wrap that up. We'll actually wrap that up on the 18th uh, together here together um, on that uh, celebration Sunday. So it'll be fun. We, uh, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, and, and it's the model prayer, the prayer that Jesus, our Lord, gave us uh, to pray. And, and what we had to understand as we started, it wasn't a prayer that was given to pray repetitiously. In fact, we actually started our series on the, on the passages just before the Lord's Prayer because it instructed us, don't pray like that. Don't pray repetitiously or babble on like the Gentiles do, um, wanting to be heard for their many words. And don't pray like the hypocrites do or the, the Pharisees do. They're hypocrites. They pray on the street corners in order to be seen by people. So it's not about being seen, right, or, or doing enough or enough repetition to be heard. That's not how, how our Father treats us. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us and has compassion on us and knows our needs even before we ask Him. So what, what a great way to go to the Lord in prayer uh, and, and pray starting what? Our, our Father in heaven. And as we started the series, uh, we kind of broke up the, the passages uh, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer into two sections. And it was the first section of the Lord's Prayer, starting with, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, right? Uh, our, our prayers of exaltation, we're exalting the, the Lord. We're, we're saying, you are glorious, you are great, you are king, and, and we are not. We, you are the creator and we are the creature, right? We're the created. Uh, you're the savior and we're the ones that need to be saved. So we're putting him and exalting him into a, a position that he should be. Uh, I want to I'll show you that here for a minute. Uh, our father in heaven, right? We say he's our father in heaven. So not only is he a father that is that's a compassionate, kind, gracious father, he is a father who actually happens to be the God of the universe. Amen? That he, he is ruling and reigning supreme over everything. He's not a little God in, in, in this big universe. He is the God over all of creation. And then we, we exalt him more. He said, God, not only do we, do we know you're in heaven, we want your name to be honored and revered as holy. That's the prayer we should be making. God, we want you to be honored as holy. You already are holy, but we want you to be revered as holy. We want you to be revered through our actions, through our lives, through our obedience, that people would see and lift up um, the holy name of God. And then we ask him, God, would your kingdom come? We know that your kingdom is exalted. Your kingdom is greater than what we have on earth. And we want to see that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, in, in little ways, through obedience, like you and I would submit ourselves willingly to him, both uh, to his kingdom and to his will. That's the next part. But also knowing that one day his kingdom will be established on earth as it is in heaven. Knowing that there will be a day where, where this life and all the turmoil and stress and pain and sorrow will be gone and Christ will reign supreme and his kingdom will finally come on earth as it is in heaven. And then we say his will to be done. Did you know that God's will is not being perfectly followed here on earth? Right? If you look around, I mean, it's not happening the way God would, would intend it to, to, to happen, right? We certainly covered the fact that his sovereign will is being accomplished no matter where uh, it is, whether it's on earth or in heaven. His sovereign will is being accomplished. But his compassionate will, his desire, his desire for all to be saved is not going to occur. His desire for you and I to, to, to be holy and pursue holiness uh, doesn't always occur perfectly, does it? Because we still fall short. So we, we ask that, God, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven as well. That, that we would come to you in obedience and say, God, I want to obey you. I want, I want to line up with what you have already stated is your will, and I want to submit to that. So that's exalting him, right? And all those things, your name to be revered as holy, your kingdom to come, and your will to be done should, should be the prayer for us that it would be done that way on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, his name is revered as holy perfectly. His kingdom it has come and is come in heaven, and will continue, he will continue to reign over that kingdom. And his will is always being done perfectly in heaven. We're asking that it come, uh, be done in, on earth as it is in heaven. So that was the first part, the first half of this passage, where we're exalting God. We're humbly exalting God that we are the creature, he's the creator. And then we moved into to, to seeking Requests or making petitions of God about our own well-being. <clears throat> in verse 11, it said, give us today our daily bread, right? So now we're talking about our own needs, and we, we explain that God, God cares for you and cares, cares about your needs, that you're, that you're fed, that you're clothed, that you have shelter. It doesn't mean you're going to be living in luxury. It means that he's going to provide, as a good father, your necessities. That's what he's, he's going to do. Uh, by the way, he provides his daily bread because man does not live on bread alone, but what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. So 
uh, part of the daily bread we talked about was the Word of God, that we have the Word, and that should nourish us and change us and, and conform us into the image of the Son. And then we saw that Jesus, in fact, was the manna that has come down from heaven, the bread from heaven, that He is the bread of life. And that if, if, having Him as our daily bread uh, should encourage us and help us overflow with strength and courage and hope every single day. And we talked about it at length, I'd say, about our daily provision. Remember that? That when we pray our daily bread, right? Give us today our daily bread. What I'm not going to the Father and praying is, God, in, in a year or in three months or in two weeks, would you, would you get this thing sorted out for me? Because I'm really hopeful. I know you will, but man, right now it's really tough. I talked about how we, how we tend to like want to ignore what's going on today, and, and man, I just can't wait to get till, to Sunday afternoon, or I can't wait to get to Friday at 5, you know, get to punch, out, punch myself out of the clock there. I'm, I'm out. Instead, what Jesus is saying, when we pray, we are seeking that the Lord would provide Jesus himself to us today, and that he would be sufficient for us and enough for us today. Amen? That's what the prayer is. And we get stuck in the fact that, well, yeah, Jesus, and I'll, I'll say this, Jesus is, is, is enough for today. And remember that sermon I talked about, people want to add to that, don't they? Well, yeah, he's enough for today, but he's enough for tomorrow, too. And he's enough for forever. He's, he's more than enough. Yeah, all that is true. But if you focus on tomorrow and the next day and the next day, what are you missing? You miss today. Remember, I brought my daughter's backpack in during this sermon, and I showed you my daughter's backpack. And I said, this, this backpack is, is packed by her mother and I. We, we pack her backpack the night before, getting her ready. Everything in that backpack is all that she needs for that day of school. So in the morning when she puts that backpack on, she has every single thing that we could possibly think of that she needs for that day. And there's nothing in there that needs to be in there for tomorrow. I'm not going to make her a, a sandwich for tomorrow and the next day and the next day right ahead of time. I'm going to make it the day of. I want to give you good things today. There's enough here today for you. That's what parents do. And, and our Heavenly Father, who knows us and loves us more, is ready to give you and I enough of Him for today. And guess what? The exp- that promise, right? The promise on Him being more than enough today has an expiration date, doesn't it? It's today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. So stop worrying about tomorrow until tomorrow becomes today. He's been faithful yesterday, and he'll be faithful for you today. And when tomorrow comes and it's today, then he'll be faithful then too. And he'll be faithful forever. But embrace that he is our daily bread. So we seek that he would be our daily provision. And then Alistair uh, preached last week on, on verse 12. It said, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And there's this relationship we saw about going to the Father saying, I am, I am just filthy rags, and I need you to clean me up. I need you to forgive me. And when we enter in that relationship of faith and trust and forgiveness from the Father, he wipes us clean. And, but here's, here's the connection. There, there's not an if, a works righteousness in this thing happening here. You don't have to forgive others in order to get to heaven. But forgiving others is a sign that you are redeemed yourself. And if you aren't forgiving others, it's likely that you have not received the forgiveness from the Father. That a mark of a believer is, is that I have been forgiven and I am then forgiving others as well. Now, you know I don't do, do that perfectly, but that's why we pray. That's why Jesus says, I know it's going to be hard, but you need to pray for it. I need to, you need to pray and go to the Father and say, God, I've been forgiven of so much. Help me. Help me to forgive others too. Help me to not hold the grudge. Let me to not hold that seed of bitterness in my heart. Let, let, me, let me forgive others because I've been forgiven of much. And see, that's, that's the, the picture, the image we see in Christ as he's forgiving us, laying his life down for those, for the same people who are driving the nails in his hands and feet. He says, forgive others, and we ought to forgive too. So God, we, we petition, God, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. There is, there is a seed in us that has been, been there from Jesus, and it's a fruit he's producing, a forgiveness, because of the forgiveness that he's given to us. And then today, we go to verse 13. It says, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Once again, this is God, part of God's provision for us. God, please provide your deliverance for us. Provide your protection for us as we, as we go into the world with all of its troubles and trials and hardships and, and temptations. God, guard us. And we're going to look at that today. How does God protect us uh, through our trials? Before we do that, um, we're not going to read the entire passage. We're going to do our responsive reading again. Dave, if you want to pull that up for me. Remember this uh, from a couple weeks ago, right? 
I read the, uh, the white portion, and then you read and read back as a congregation in unison, right? Try to do it in unison. You'll do fine. You did great last time. You read the, uh, the yellow, and then I'll continue with the white until we've read the passage, all right? You ready? Loosen up a little bit. Okay. Whenever you pray, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. But when you pray, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them. Therefore, you should pray like this. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Good work. You guys did really good. Proud of you. The, uh, and as we, as we go through that, the, the hope is that it's not a repetitious prayer. I know a lot of us have learned that, but we were just encouraged not to make that a repetitious prayer, a babble to God as if we say this and it's a magic spell and we'll earn something. Hopefully as we've gone through this series or if you've missed some of it, you can catch it online. Uh, you're, you're growing and learning what it is to really humble ourselves before the Lord and pray this prayer to our Lord Jesus. So today we're going to get into our, our text here in a minute, um, and we're going to cover the, the portion of Scripture that says, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, but we'll pray first, and we'll get started. Father, we're so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful that you brought us together to worship you, to celebrate all that Jesus has done for us and all, and all that he is. We thank you that he is the anointed one, the Messiah, our Savior, and our King of Kings. God, as we consider your text and look to your text today, may you open our our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. May your spirit be, be active within us. And, and God, may, may we desire to change and be challenged by your spirit and by your word. God, we want to come into alignment to your will. We want to, to, be, to be confronted by your spirit and, and repent of our sin, God, that we might look more and more like Jesus. We thank you and we love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're moving into this section or, or, of, of temptation now. And and there's, this is a tough, a, a reasonably tough text, because as we look at it, it says, the first part says, and bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And, and the question has to go is, is God, is God going to be tempting us? And we've got to pray against him tempting us? And what does that look like? How, how do we reconcile that? Because that doesn't seem like God is the guy who usually tempts us. So we, we're going to look at that a little bit. But as we look at how God protects and the, and the Lord protects us, we're going to go through three points. And the first one is this. Uh, he protects because life, number one, is no picnic. Life is no picnic. Now, I really tried, as I was preparing this message, to, to get a deep theological point right there. I wanted to make something really profound. And as I was reading commentary, I came across one of them that I'm pretty sure the guy that wrote it is dead because, I mean, the way he speaks is old, old English. And, and he was talking about this section and basically said, it's not a picnic. Life's not a picnic. Like, that's exactly what it is. That's, that's exactly true, Right? Life's not a picnic. So the Lord wants to protect because life's not a, not a picnic. Now think about fathers and mothers. If you're a parent, think about that for you and your, your own life with your kids. We know that life's not a picnic. And, and how hard is it for us to send us out the front door every single day? How hard is it to see them walk out of the car and walk up the street and go to the school or go to their friends? I mean, we know that they're going to face all kinds of trials and temptations and, and, and hardships. It is tough. Life is not a picnic. And from this passage, we can see that we pray, do not bring us into temptation. What are we acknowledging? That there is temptation. It's going to be there. Trouble is going to come. It's going to come try to find us. And then we pray, but deliver us from the evil one. We're acknowledging that life has temptations, has hardships, 
and that there's an evil one, the enemy, Satan, set against us to devour us. That's what we're getting into. That's what this life is all about. And for you and I to have this, this thought that, that we're immune to struggles because we're Christians, we're Christ followers, it, it, that's one of the most dangerous things a Christian can do, is, is think that, that they are immune to trials and temptations because they're now Jesus' children. You know what Christ promises us? He promises us a righteousness that's not our own and a forever with Him in glory. And what He also promises from His Word, from his word is that during this life, you will have what? Troubles and trials and hardships. It's going to happen. And, and people say, well, I want to be like Job. I want to put a hedge of protection. I want to I pray for a hedge, and, and there should be a hedge around us, and we, we should always be doing great. And that's, you know what, that's... Yes, we should pray for a hedge. We absolutely, this text is telling us, I don't want to be led into temptation. God, if at all possible, no trials. Bring the hedge. But sometimes Satan comes over the hedge. Sometimes trouble sneaks in. And the hedge isn't protecting anymore. And we have to understand that he's not just there to, to protect our lives and make them comfortable. Although he does that at times. He's there to give us a hope of himself and a strength from himself to, to strengthen our heart in the middle of those things. So there is this thing, do not bring us into temptation. We think that, you know, we're immune to temptation. We're not, right? And 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to what? Fall. Not to be, be careful not to fall. You think you're going to stand, be careful, because you're probably going to fall. There, there are so many times you think in Christian number, people around you, think in your life, People that have fallen, and it's like, man, they fell hard. They fell from a high spot, and they fell hard, and hit hard, and landed hard. You're like, and then what do you do? You whisper to your buddy, I'll never do that. Oh, man. We can't, we can't say that, right? We, we have to understand the depths of the pit of the mire that Christ has reached down into and pulled us out of. And we have to understand that we are not incapable of falling down there again. People around us fall when we pray. We pray for them. We pray for them to be restored. We help restore them. And we ought to know that trouble may come and will come our way and may cause us to fall. We are not above that. Because if you think you're above that, you will certainly not be ready once it comes. Now, turn to the book of James. We're, we're pretty much done with the Matthew 6 passage there. Turn to the book of James, if you would, please. James chapter 1. It's just after the book of Hebrews in the middle of the New Testament. Oh, Revelation, that's too far. <clears throat> James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the pew rack Bibles in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along. It's the same translation that I'm using here today. So I want to look at this idea of, of what is this word temptation going to mean? But we're also looking at, like, are we, are we promised a peachy life, Right? Um, I, I watch a lot of cartoons now that I'm a dad, so there's this great theologian named Poppy on this movie called Trolls. She said, life's not all cupcakes and rainbows, right? I thought it was great. It's a great theological concept. <sighs> Let's look at this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So James comes to the group of believers who, who, who are being persecuted, who are being pressured, who are probably more like the Pakistan Christians than we are here today. But he comes to them and says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now that seems like a little bit different prayer than what Jesus is asking us to pray. Jesus says the model prayer, you should pray, and Lord, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So there's this temptation thing going, there's these trials and sufferings, we're, we're mixing in with this, and what does this all mean? Well, jump down to verse 13 here in James. Look at what verse 13 says. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Well, if we're praying that God would not lead us into temptation, what, what, is, what, how, what does this have to do with trials? What, does God really tempt us? Well, James says no, we don't, we, and that's written by the Holy Spirit. So God tells us that God himself does not tempt any of us. But we're to pray that he would not lead us into temptation. 
So what does this mean? We need to kind of harmonize this and kind of figure out what, it, what it's talking about. First of all, the word temptation in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, as it's talking about, Lord, lead us not into temptation, is kind of a neutral um, word. It doesn't mean good or bad, either one. Um, in, our, in our English language, we say temptation. We're like, oh, temptation for bad. But, but how often do we use that? Like, we use that for good sometimes, don't we? Like, you, you might be tempted. Well, that's really tempting to go, go do that and go, go serve somebody. We maybe use it out of context because in, in our English culture, it's always usually bad. But here it's kind of neutral. And what it means is a testing or a proving. It's a trial time. So what we're asking, the prayer could be twofold. One, God, I don't want to be led into temptation to sin. Or two, I don't want, Lord, Lord, don't lead me into a trial. Don't lead me into a test. I don't, I don't want to go there. Both of those are valid prayers. And I think those are both valid to pray as we pray uh, over the Lord's Prayer, as we pray the Lord's Prayer back to Him. And let, let's see why, okay? So we're talking about God is not tempting us. Uh, the, the word here is, is indicating like a test that's going on, um, it, but it parallels. And, and, and although it's neutral and it's a test or a trial, it still parallels the second part of verse 13, or verse, I'm um, sorry, verse 13 in Matthew 6. Where, so it says, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. So it's still connected to that word, that term, the evil one. So there is, an, is or can be uh, an enticement to sin, although there's a trial at hand. It's not God giving you a temptation. It's a trial, a test. And during that test, during that trial, there could be, and we could be led to the point of enticement where we will then sin. But it's not God doing that. Notice, uh, go, go with me to Matthew chapter 4. We'll, we'll notice, keep track, and I'll, I'll connect all the dots in a minute. Matthew chapter 4. I want to look at what God's part is and what Satan's part is and what our part is today, kind of in this idea of temptation and trials and troubles and struggles. So we're in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 together. All right? Here's what it says. Then Jesus was, what, what was he? Led. It says led up by who? The Spirit. That's the Spirit of God, right? So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by whom? The devil. The worm. Thank you, Susan. To be tempted by the devil. So what, what was the function of God in this passage? He did the leading. And who did the tempting? Satan would do the tempting. Now, so I want you to write this in your notes. As we look at this verse and as we, as we talk about it, and as we, as we talk about Matthew chapter 6, 13, it says, and do not bring us into temptation. Other translations say what? And Lord, do not lead us into temptation, indicating that the Lord God is the one who leads. He, by His Spirit, is the one who leads us. Okay? So God does the leading. You can write that in your notes. God does the leading. The next part right after that is what? Satan does the tempting. Satan does the tempting. So I want us to understand a trial here. God, God will and does, and we looked at James, right? Consider it all joy when you face a trial because those things will develop in you a perseverance that will ultimately help you mature and grow. You'll be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So trials are good for us. That God may actually bring trials or tests into our life to refine us and to help us become more mature and complete. Amen? Is that, that's scriptural, right? So as we, as we pray this, as we see what God is doing, God will and does lead us into trials. God does lead us into tests. And we're going to see that more today. But here's the greatest promise about that. Because He is a shepherd and He's leading us, God not only leads us into a trial or a test, He will lead us through that test. So He's there for that. He's there. I'm not going to leave you hanging. He knows we can't do it on our own power, and we'll, we'll see that more. The, the idea God is the one who leads us, and He'll lead us to and then through a test. But there's something that goes on in our heart where we start to become enticed by Satan, and he looks for opportune times. Let's continue in our text, Matthew 4 here, uh, verses 1 through 4. So he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, right, to be tempted by the devil. And verse 2, after he had fasted for 40 days, he was what? Hungry. He was hungry. Can you imagine after 40 days of fasting? Yeah, he'd probably be hungry. 
So let's get a picture of this trial, this test. Jesus goes into the wilderness and, and knows he's going to be tempted by the devil. God sends him there knowing that the devil will tempt him. Now, this is Jesus, and he's sinless, and, and he's not going to be able to sin. But he goes in there still being tempted. And he goes in the trial is not only am I there and I'm, I'm by myself, but I'm also now not eating. And now I'm, 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 I, you know, I'm sure he's moved through the phases of hungry to angry through hangry. And now he's just like weary, right? He's just weary and like, what am, I, what am I doing? I'm withering away. And then Satan comes up, doesn't he? He says, then, verse 3, then, when? Then, say then. Then, then, that time where we were weak, that time in the middle of the trial where we had that fork in the road, that time in the middle of that struggle, that, that test, where it's like, I have a decision to make. That's when Satan loves to attack us, when we have a decision to make. It's time now, and we're struggling with that decision, and we're weary from this fight. We're weary from the trial. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you're the son of God, I mean, if you're the anointed one, in which you are, right? If you're the anointed one, tell these stones to become bread. And Satan does that, right? He confuses us, thinking, well, well that's bread. Surely I'm, I am powerful. I can do that. Why, why shouldn't I do that? I've, I've fasted for 40 days. We can put all kinds of excuses in our mind to go down the road that Satan, Satan gives us. And it's not... It's, he's not saying, like, turn this, turn this rock into, like, something gross. Bread, nourishment, like something that you're going to like. It's like the manna that came before. He says, turn it into bread. You, you need that. It, it, you deserve that, Jesus. And Jesus answered, right? Here's the answer. It is written, man must not live by, on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He passed the test, didn't he? Jesus passed the test. There was a test by God. God sent him in and led him into the, into the wilderness. The, the strength of God certainly was there with him. And he was tempted. During that time of struggle and despair, he was tempted. So God led him into and, and, and led him through during. And up to that point, he was hungry and, and, and aching and, and really struggling. And then the tempter came because that was an opportune time. And later on, you'll see that if you read that more. He, he, he went away from him looking for a better time, right? Satan wants the best time where he's going to have potential to win the battle over our hearts, win the battle over our choice. And he presented it to Jesus, and Jesus is like, no, I'm not having that. I'm going to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he passed that test. But you see how this happens. God will lead us into trials. This life isn't a picnic. This life isn't a picnic. And, and here's, this is hard because I know that it says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials. And we've read that scripture in James. And we should consider it all joy when we face trials. But how hard is that? That's hard, isn't it? And, and here's, here's why that becomes difficult. Because I know my heart. I know my weaknesses. I, I know that in the middle of that, it's going to be tough. I know my pride. I know that I'm going to want to take, take control. I'm going to want to be, be the strength that I need for myself. And in the middle of that trial, God's going to be driving me to my knees in humility, reaching up, screaming, crying out for him, which is where he wants me anyway. So knowing the hardship that we may face, the trials that may come, God certainly says, go ahead and pray. Lord, don't bring me, don't lead me into that trial. If at all possible, God, no trials, no temptation, no no tests. If at all possible, God, I want to pray that. But that's not always possible, is it? And God will still sometimes bring tests. I, and I, I do, I would say this. I do believe that as we pray that prayer to God, He does answer that prayer sometimes. He's, well, he's, always, he's always faithful to answer the prayer. Sometimes it's, okay, I, I got you. I, I'll, I won't bring that test in your life. I'll let you avoid that one. Sometimes it's like, no, sorry, you got to go through this one. Right? He always answers. But I believe the prayers of the saints do something. And when Jesus tells us to go and to pray and to, and, to, and to pray that God would not lead us into trials, we, we do that because we know that there are trials and, and, and hardships that, that we will face, that we will be faced with that opportunity to, to defame Christ, to dishonor him, and to, and to damage ourselves. So we pray, God, please, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. If at all possible, I want to avoid those trials. That's good. Pray that. 
But we have a second part of this verse too, don't we? It says, but don't lead us into temptation, but what? Deliver us from the evil one. There are times we are in trials. There are times we're in the middle of it and we face it. And at that moment, now we're praying, God, please don't, please don't let me fall to temptation, to Satan. Deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from the grasps and the, and the schemes of the devil. I don't, I don't want to listen to him. Make, strengthen me. Strengthen me. And we're on our knees. And it's good for us to be on our knees in weakness before him in the middle of a trial. Because when we're on our knees, we can turn to him and say, God, you're all, you're all I need. You're all, I, you're all that will supply us. You're all that will supply my needs right now. I'm, I'm again, in the position of creature, and you're the creator. And that's the position he wants us in. Not self-sufficiency, right? But sufficient on God. Say, God, I, I need you more and more as it drives us to our needs. So it's God that leads or brings us to trials and through trials, and it's Satan who tempts us. I want to go to one more spot in Matthew chapter 26, if you turn there with me. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. So just, just kind of a, bring us up to speed real quick. God presenting us with tests or trials does not mean that God is the one tempting us. Right? He, he knows what's for our good. He knows what's for his glory. And, and what he's pre- we do have in those tests, though, an opportunity to fail that test. So we pray to him and ask us, God, please, if at all possible, let's avoid the trial. But if we are in the middle of the trial, God, we, we want to avoid temptation and avo- avoid falling into the sin that Satan presents. God tests us for our good while Satan tries to exploit it and tempts us for our ruin. So we're in Matthew 26. Verse, starting in verse 36, and we'll go through 39 together. It says, my, my heading here is the prayer in the garden, right? He, he, the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper had happened, and he'd gone to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he's getting ready to be arrested. It says, then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he told them, or he told the disciples, sit here while I go over and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Uh-oh, there's a trial, right? Trouble. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell down, face down, and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. We'll continue on that in just a minute. This is another one of those examples, right? God, the Godhead, the triune Godhead, had this this set up, this... uh, crucifixion and this atonement from the, since the beginning of the world, before the foundations of the world. But Jesus now, God in the flesh, is, is going to become obedient to the will of the Father, and he's going to go to the cross. And this is the way to atone for our sins, for my sin, for your sin. This is what he's doing, and, and he's deeply distressed over that. It's coming up closer and closer. I'm sure as he, as he was a young man, it was like, okay, that, that's a ways off. i got a little time to wait here. But now it's looming now he knows that this is the night that he will betrayed and be betrayed and handed over into the hands of, of those who will crucify him. He knows it's coming. And he's deeply grieved. He is in the middle of probably the biggest test of his life, the biggest trial of his life. And, and, and the example he sets here is great because I, I don't sometimes feel like I should pray, God, keep me out of trials, keep me out of trials. Because I'm like, God, I guess if it refines me, let me go into them. I'll, I'll, I'll dive in. But man, I'd really like to stay out of trials. So what, but what does Jesus, our Lord, pray? He, he goes in and he, and he prays. He says, you guys stay here, watch and pray. I'm going to go over here. And, and he fell face down. What did he say? What did Jesus say? He says, um, he fell face down. He says, my father, if it is at all possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What did Jesus pray? He said, God, I don't want a trial. I don't want to struggle. I don't, I don't want this pain. I don't, I don't want this test. If, if there's any other option, any other way for this to get done, God, I pray not to be in the trial. He's, he's modeling the prayer. He's telling us to pray later on or earlier in his ministry. He tells us, pray this way. Lord, bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I don't want to go through a trial. My heart is weary. I am aching over this. Now he's going to become 
totally obedient and still be fully obedient to the Father. We know that. And he does it right there. He submits himself, doesn't he? He says, God, I, I don't want this trial, but whatever your will is, not my will be done, your will be done. It's not about me and my comfort. It's about, it's about the plan. It's about your glory. It's about what you want from me. So there's two aspects of prayer in this. There's one that says, please, please, no trials. The other aspect of this part of the prayer is, if there are trials, please, God, please, God, help me not to sin. Help me not to fall. Help me not to dishonor you. You and I should know our weaknesses, though, right? We know our weaknesses, and we know that trials create hardships, and it drives us to our knees. So when we get to our knees, if, he, if we know that life's not a picnic, what happens next when we're driven to our knees? Well, number two is this, the Lord calls us to watch and to pray. The Lord calls us to watch and pray. If, if you want to avoid temptation, if you want to get through this, then watch and pray. We aren't immune to temptation. We aren't immune to struggles and trials, and we need to be reminded that the battle that we fight is not one we should fight on our own power. That's why Jesus prayed so often, right, to be strengthened. And you see at the end of that, it, it, later on, we see Christ strengthened by angels after he prays that, that prayer three times. But if we, we, cannot, we know we cannot avoid temptation. We know we cannot avoid tests in our life. Those things will come, and we cannot win them on our own power. So this, this really marks, again, how self-reliant we are on Jesus, how much of a creature we are in the, uh, in he, and how much of the creator he is. We are fully dependent on him. Let's go a little farther here on, on this passage in Matthew Chapter 26, we'll read 39 again. It says, going a little bit farther, he fell, what? Face down, utter dependence on God, and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? He, he knew that there was something happening here. There was a trial, a, a struggle. And that not only was he facing that, his disciples were going to face that as well, right? They were going to all run away and deny him eventually. But look at what he says next in verse 41. Here's the remedy. Stay awake, right? Stay awake and pray. Jesus is calling us to watch and pray with me uh, so you won't enter into what? Temptation. What's the remedy? It's to watch and pray. To be alert, to watch and pray. It says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In verse 42, again, a second time he went and prayed, My father, if this, can, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus, again, encouraging his disciples, saying, Listen, there's, there's more trial to come. There's tons on me. And, and Jesus feels it. He's, he's in agony, sweating like drops of blood in the garden, saying, Is there another way? Let's do that. And his disciples are falling asleep not understanding that, that their trial is coming too, that their test is going to come as well. So the Lord says, if I'm going to protect you, I'm going to call you now to watch and to pray. Watch and pray. Stay awake and pray. This idea of watching, the word watch here, it, it gives us this imagery of, of a soldier standing watch, right? Whether it's the night watch or the early watch or it's the midday watch, the soldier is standing watch. And a soldier that's standing watch is always alert and looking, at, looking for the first signs of any duplicity from the enemy, any attack from the enemy. That's what their job is. It, it, someone is always watching and standing guard so we can have a better shot at seeing and dealing with the enemy. We are to watch and guard against temptation. We need to be, be aware of our surroundings. Be aware of the people you're putting yourselves around. Be aware of what, your, what media influences you're watching and listening to, what, what re renews your mind, what goes in your eyes and says is, is the temptation that will entice you. Maybe it's turning away from that channel because that commercial is just raunchy and it, it shouldn't be seen and it's, it's something that's causing you to sin in your heart and your mind. Maybe it's a show you're watching. Maybe it's a series you need to stop binging on. I don't know. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's the food you enjoy, right? I get that. There are things that entice us out there. One of the commentators said this, that whatever your fire is, whatever the, th the fire is for you, he said, stay away from it. By all means, just stay away from it. Try to get away from it. That's being on watch, being on guard. I told this story several, several years ago. I used to listen to different kinds of music, and, and, and I, don't, I don't mind some different types of music. 
Um, I think there are some great songs. People are created in the image of God, and those artists, uh, whether they paint or write or they, whatever they do, they, they have some words that may be something we can use and God might redeem. But, but I have to be so on guard when I'm listening to something that doesn't have a Christian theme to it. And I, I hate having to be on guard so much. I mean, I, he says to be on guard. We should be. But that's why I predominantly listen like to Caleb or Air One. And even there, you have to still guard yourself. You know, it's not all exact truth. But it's so refreshing to be able to just kind of, kind of let your guard down a minute, knowing that you're, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm being influenced in a good way here. And when I turn to a different channel, now I've got to be alert. What are they saying? What, what's it, what, I don't know what that message is. Is that right? Is that wrong? What are my kids hearing? It was great. The other day, it was yesterday, we were driving home from somewhere, and my daughter in the back seat just going on, singing away with the radio, and Caleb's on. I'm like, that's what I want her singing. And, and she may not even understand what she's singing, but I definitely don't want her singing something she doesn't understand, especially if it's not Christ-centered. Because I don't want her mind renewed by that. I want her mind renewed by the Word. And, I'm, and so I'm not saying don't listen to some other music. I'm saying be watchful. Be alert, be sober-minded, be vigilant, because the attack is going to come. And it's all around us. And I may have not mentioned one of your areas today, but all of us have that area, all of us have that fire. Stay away from it. Because if you don't, you're going to get burned. You're going to get burned. It can just lead to ruin. Be watchful. Jesus says, be watchful and pray. So here's, here's the progression. We said God leads, and we said Satan, what? He tempts. The third and final part of that is this, that we are the ones who are enticed. We are enticed. I want to, I want to read the passage in James again. If you want to flip there quick, you can. You don't, you don't have to. But back to James uh, verse, in verse 15, or 14 and 15 in James 1. It, so it says, no one can be tempted by God, right? God doesn't tempt anyone. But in verse 14, but each person is tempted. Here we go, right? Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So you and I have an evil desire inside of us. And when, when Satan sees that, he's like, oh, here's a silver platter with whatever you want right on it. You're in the middle of a trial. You deserve this. This is good. This looks great. This is going to feel awesome. Take this. Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. See, Satan is out to ruin us. God wants to test and, and, and he wants us to show our virtue because of our strength in him, where Satan says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to take you, I'm going I'm to take you through the ringer and I'm going to make it look good, but you're going to be devoured and I'm going to leave you spit out on the floor for dead. That's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to leave us ineffective, not effective. He wants to, he wants to ruin our day and destroy instead of build us up as Christ does temptation comes from inside of our hearts when we're carried away by our own desires, by the things inside that we tend to let rule us. So unless we fight these desires, unless we fight these things by being alert, right, and, and by prayer, we will fall into sin. 1 Peter 5 says this, be sober-minded and alert. Sound familiar? Jesus said, watch and pray. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. What does prowling look like? slow, quiet stock. It is stealthy. It's that one where you walk outside and the hair on the back of your neck raises up and you're not sure why. That's why. He's not this loud elephant coming in there, oh, look here, I'm going to ruin your life. He's like, I'm going to sneak up on you and I am going to, at the, at the opportune time where your heart is enticed, I am going to pounce on you and rip you to shreds and you're going to like it for a little while. Then I'm going to spit you out and leave you for dead. That's what he's going to do. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And we, we prayed for them this morning. Satan is trying to ruin, ruin our lives, our hearts, our hope. He'll never defeat God, by the way. He's already lost the war. We might, we might as well choose. I want to just choose life. I want to choose victory in Christ. So when we're sincere in asking the Lord to not bring us into temptation, our, our hearts then should have this readiness about them to watch, stay on guard, and, and not only watch, watch each other's back as well. 
right? And then to pray and, and just drives us to our knees in this deep, deep need for him. And that leads us to our final point today. Number three, how does the Lord protect? Well, he, we, he lets us know that God can deliver us. He lets us know that he's the deliverer. God can deliver us. First Corinthians chapter 10 says this in verse 13, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Right? It's not new to you. It's, it's been around. But God, here's the great thing, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with, temp- with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so you might be able to bear it. That's, that's the promise of God. He will come and be your rescuer. He will be your rescuer. Isn't he awesome? He, he's the deliverer. We're the delivered. Right? He's the Savior. He, we're the saved. We're the ones that are in need of him, and he comes so mightily to the rescue with his strength. Last passage of the day, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. It's the very first part of the Bible, first book of the Bible, right? Genesis 22. I thought about cutting some of this out, but I, I think it's very important for us to look at the entire passage. It's about Father Abraham, right? Had many sons. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah. so for, for you and I, Abraham had been promised by God that he would be the father of many nations and that those many nations would be, would be uh, through his son Isaac. And, and that he was an old age and his wife, oh, we can't have kids. And they had Isaac. And he has Isaac and Isaac's growing up. And wow, the, God's, God's fulfilling his promise. And then God comes one day. And well, let's, let's pick up in 2022 one. Look at the 22 one. After these things, God, what, what, God what? Tested, it says. After these things, God tested Abraham because God, as he leads us, as a good shepherd, leads us into trials, into tests, and through those things. He tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Oh, my goodness. Now, that's a test. That's a trial, right? God, and we can see in Hebrews later how, how Abraham was reasoning in his faith, understanding who God was. And, th- and it's an amazing story of Abraham's faith as we proceed. But this is certainly a test, a trial that he is being led into. Amen? He is being led into by God. He's being tested. So Abraham, verse 3, got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. So this, as God leads us, we should walk. We should follow. Here's the deal. When we, when we are led by God, we can get resistant. Like, God, I don't want to go to that. No, I don't want that trial. I don't want that. I'm not doing those things. And, and the more we resist where God wants us to lead, the more Satan opens up that opportune time to pounce. Like, oh, well, you can come with me. I'll take care of you. Stop resisting, right? The trial is coming. We can pray against trial. But when it comes, stop resisting where God will lead you as he leads you in that trial. Because he will lead you through that. Abraham said, this is a trial. You want me to kill my son? So what did he do? He, he got up. He started walking to where the Lord wanted him to go. I'll show you where to go. Just walk. Be faithful to walk. Going on. Uh, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we will come back to you. Man, just so, so rich in theology, by the way. I can't explain it all, but he's, again, still being faithful and faithful and saying, I'm, my faithfulness to you in the, in the darkest valley right now in my life is going to be to worship you. I'm going to go over there, and we're going to worship the Lord because I trust in the Lord. I'm not going to resist what he has. I'm going to lean into it. He says, Abraham took his son Isaac, uh, and, and in his hand he took the fire and the knife. And the two of them, what they do? They walked on together, continuing to walk and being led by God. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, saying, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac knew something's missing here. Abraham answered him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. See, there's a fork in the road, isn't there? What do I do here? Like, What do I tell my son? How do I... How do I tell him who God is and this is a test and what, what's my faith going to do? My son asked me that question. Do I just break down crying and say, let's pack up, let's go home? 
what do I, what do, I do? Well, he, he walked on. They walked on together. Verse 9, then uh, when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and he placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham passed the test, didn't he? He passed the test. Now, now we know you've done, you've done well. You're faithful in that test. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram out and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, right? That, that's what he named that place, the Lord will provide. What did the Lord provide for him? He provided the sacrifice. He provided, he provided the strength that he needed for that trial. He provided the deliverance he needed from the temptation to sin and to disobey God and to turn around and pack up and go home. All that while, he was a man of faith saying, I, I, I'm trusting in you, God. I'm trusting you because I know that you will provide, that you will deliver us from this. And today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. So Abraham had the test, and we, we have tests, and certainly these are, these are huge heroes of faith that we see in Scripture. But for you and I, we need to understand that God will present us with trials. He will present us with tests in our life. He'll, he'll lead us there, and he'll, he'll lead us not only there, but through them. And we're going to need that, because in the middle of those tests, those trials, that, that, that inside desire to sin and to disobey or to abandon God is going gonna, is gonna to resonate. And Satan's going to look for that opportune time when you're not watching, when you're not praying, to pounce on you and, and, and to, to bring you away from God and, and destroy whatever obedience might have been there. So God is urging us, God is petitioning us to call on Him and to pray, Lord, don't bring us into temptation. If at all possible, no temptation. But if we're there, help me not to sin and to fall and deliver me. You be my provider. You be the one who will deliver me from the evil one. And, and all of that for the glory of God and for our benefit. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Father,